In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. You know that one friend in your life that you, you didn't really want in the beginning, but whom in the end it turned out you desperately needed? You know that friend? Uh, this is the friend who lacks just enough social skill to snicker when you ask if you should join the choir. This is the friend who responds with an overly enthusiastic, yes, when you ask, does this dress make me look fat? <laughs> this is the friend who lacks just enough tact to say, no way, when you ask, do you think a girl like that will ever go out with a guy like me? The friend none of us wants, but all of us desperately need, because this friend, social tact aside, tells us the truth, the truth. And it spares us embarrassment. It spares us, you know, lots of embarrassment. Ultimately, it spares us ourselves, really. Now, if you don't have one of these friends, you are in luck on the second Sunday of Advent 2019 because St. Matthew wants to introduce you to one, and his name is John the Baptist, the awkward friend you didn't know you needed. John is definitely awkward. He's awkward in lots of ways, but he's going to tell us the truth. And, and in this way, by telling us the truth awkwardly, just like the season of Advent, John is going to help us get ready for Christmas. He's going to prepare us for Jesus. Three ways that John is going to get us ready for Christmas from Matthew 3, and only the way an awkward friend could. One, he's going to invite us into the desert. Two, he's going to confront us with our need for Jesus. And three, he's going to challenge the way we think about the king. Take your scripture insert, find the gospel reading at the bottom of that insert, Matthew chapter 3. Let's begin. John the Baptist prepares us for Christmas. One, he calls us into the desert. Look at the top of the passage. Notice verse 1. Matthew gives us this very interesting detail that we almost overlook. In those days he writes, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness. The word for wilderness can also be translated desert. This is, it's interesting for a few different reasons that Matthew mentions this. First of all, if John the Baptist is as popular an itinerant preacher as he appears to be in this text, we find out later, droves of people are coming to see him. Why is he not in the city center where all the action of a society is happening. Why is he out in the sticks? Secondly, it's interesting that Matthew tells us he's in the wilderness because wilderness is sort of a buzzword for Israel. In the life of the people of Israel, they were so often in the wilderness, in the desert, that wilderness at this point in Israel's story has sort of become like it's more of a condition of their spiritual journey than it is a geographical location. To be in the wilderness is full of meaning. 
In the wilderness, Israel, remember, wandered for 40 years. In the wilderness, Israel met despair apart from God. In the wilderness, they chose idolatry. In the wilderness, Israel hit rock bottom. But also in the wilderness, as we read in the Old Testament, God met them. Time and time again, in the wilderness, God renewed His relationship with Israel. So, lots of spiritual activity in the wilderness. One more thing. At the time, you know, Matthew says, in those days. At this point, when John appears on the scene of history, one thing we know is that Israel, God's people, have not heard from God in over 400 years. In a sense, then, Israel is back in the wilderness again. And this is where God meets them. Author Frederick Buechner uh, suggests that it's in the silent wilderness places of our lives that are, in fact, the very voice of God to us. Especially, think about this, in a world that has kind of forgotten that God exists, maybe, Buechner says, it's, it's It's only in the darkness and the silence and the aching emptiness that God could speak to us. So here's my question. What is your desert this Advent season 2019? Where is the place in your life where you least expect to hear from God? Where in your life is there barrenness like the desert, hunger, like the desert. Thirst. Where's the testing place? Where are the trials? Where is your hopelessness in life? Your longing, your sadness, your lament, all words we might associate with desert, wilderness. Is it in your marriage, with your kids, at your job, in your thoughts, in your emotions? You say, Josh, I don't want to go to the desert. Don't you know it's Christmas time? I want to stay at the Mall of Millennia. Why are you inviting me to the desert? That is so not Christmas, right? This is why, brothers and sisters, we need the words of the prophet John the Baptist today. He's going to invite us to the place we may not want to go, like that awkward friend but it's a place where we can meet with God, like the people of Israel right here in this text, being ready for Jesus. Here's the second thing John's going to do to get us ready for Christmas. He's going to confront us with our need for Jesus. One of the things that Matthew is really keen on doing in this chapter is presenting John the Baptist to us as a prophet like the prophets of old in the First Testament. So, think about it. John comes on the scene. He's proclaiming, preaching a message. That's what a prophet does. He speaks. He's the voice uh, of God. And he looks like a prophet. He's wearing weird, radical, extreme clothes, like a person on the side of the road holding a sign that says, the end is near. This is John. He even eats bugs and honey, another just shocking, weird thing that he does. Not to mention, he has an extra credential Look at verse 3. Matthew quotes Isaiah right there. And the one of whom Matthew is speaking is, Matthew tells us, John. 
The one Isaiah is talking about is John. John's credential as a prophet is he was mentioned to be a prophet centuries before he ever came onto the scene. Matthew wants us to know this guy's important. He's very important. He's the last prophet of them all. He's going to do what prophets always do. They confront people of their need, and this is a dangerous, if not deadly, job if you just check out a few prophets from the First Testament. So John's going to do something that's dangerous. He's going to confront us with our need. You know the worst, um, the worst part of Christmas? Worst part of Christmas, I know what you're thinking, it's not Mariah Carey's Christmas album. Some of you right now are like, oh, I've, I've, turned, I've turned him off. That's my favorite Christmas album. I can't believe it. The worst part about Christmas is it's the people who already have everything they need, right? It's maddening. They steal from us, the gift giver, the whole point of gift giving. It's like, why are you here in Christmas time? There's nothing that you need. I can buy nothing for you. Mom and dad, when you listen to this sermon, that's you. These perfectly contented people are maddening. John, John has found some people that know they need something. Two kinds of people in this passage that he speaks about both have a need, but it's a different kind of need. There are the crowds on the one hand, verse 5 and 6, and there are the religious folk on the the other hand, verse 7 and following. The first group, the crowds coming out to the desert to find him, they uh, are coming to be baptized. They need a cleansing. They want uh, forgiveness of their sins. Matthew says they come to John being baptized by him, confessing their sins, verse 6. The second group, verse 7 and following, the religious folks, um, they are coming For baptism, it says, the word for in the Greek can be translated against baptism. We we don't quite know why they're coming to him, but these religious folk are out. Maybe they're just checking John the Baptist out. Well, come to find out, they don't necessarily need or want a cleansing. They don't know what they need. They don't know what they need. Don't presume to say to yourselves, we are children of Abraham. John exposes in verse 9 the fact that they are expecting just to be grandfathered in to the kingdom of God because they were born Jewish. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Why are you a Christian? Oh, my family were Christians. In a spiritual sense, in a gospel sense, and friends, don't be the people this Christmas season who have no needs. Be ready for Christmas by knowing that you need something. Maybe you need cleansing, forgiveness, confession. Well, Christmas is coming, so you're in luck. Maybe you need to remember that not your best efforts can get you reconnected with the God of heaven and earth if you don't personally know Jesus, like the folks in verses 7 and following. So don't be those people. Let John confront you with your need for Jesus, and you'll be ready for Christmas. Here's the third and final place. Third and final way John prepares us. It's by challenging our understanding of Jesus. Some of you uh, have seen, and I won't ask you to raise your hands, that great art house film called Talladega Nights. with Will Ferrell. 
goes by Ricky Bobby, the NASCAR driver in this film. If you've seen the film, it's hard to forget a moment at the dinner table where Ricky Bobby, this kind of redneck guy, begins to pray. And he prays like this. These are his words. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, we thank you so much for the bountiful harvest of Domino's, KFC, and Taco Bell. He goes on to say, we hope that you can use your baby Jesus powers to heal so-and-so. And at the end of the prayer, Ricky Bobby's wife scolds him. Honey, she says, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a little odd and off-putting to pray to a baby, to which Will Ferrell responds, well, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to the grown-up Jesus or the teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. I risk sharing this illustration with you <laughs> because does it not prove the point? We misunderstand who Jesus is. It's very difficult. Isn't it during this like warm and fuzzy and cozy and snowy and chestnutty sentimentality of Christmas time for us to remember that the Savior of Christmas is not sweet little baby Jesus on layaway in the manger on the night before Christmas when all through the house no crying he makes, not even a mouse. This is not Jesus of Christmas. He is coming again. And during Advent, we prepare for His second coming. We sing in the sixth century hymn, Hark, a thrilling voice is sounding, from Will Ferrell to sixth century hymn. When next Jesus comes in glory and the world is wrapped in fear, may He, with His mercy, shield us. I don't need to be shielded from a baby, do you? And with words of love, draw near. Perhaps the number one way Jesus is presented in Matthew's whole gospel is as royalty, that is to say, the divine warrior king sent by the creator of heaven and earth, not just to rule the tiny people of Israel, but to rule all of us, the whole world. This is why in verse 2, look at your text, John's message is not, hear this, is not a polite invitation for people to, quote, invite Jesus into their hearts. Instead, it is a rather alarming announcement of a world-defining fact, a proclaiming of a coming universal reality, a certainty that apparently doesn't depend even on the response of humanity. He's coming. Do with that what you will. John says it like this, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And later, just to make sure we get the message, he presents Jesus as the judge of all the world. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor. Friends, to get ready for Christmas, let this be a corrective to all of us a challenge to our understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When the Christian message is, uh, the Christian message is certainly, is certainly 
a loving invitation to a personal relationship with God, absolutely. But it is at the same time also a universal, cosmic, life and death type reality of the inevitable, unstoppable, encroaching kingdom of God. And John, like any king's herald, goes out in front of the king into the desert telling the world, listen, this king is on his way, and the wisest choice you could make is to submit to the king and live, or resist the king and be conquered. Now, that's a different Jesus. John, like Advent, the whole season is getting us ready for Christmas, and I wonder which part of John's message do you need to get ready for Christmas? To be reminded of your need? to be confronted that you need a Savior, to be comforted by the fact that there is a coming King, that He's in charge. Whatever you need, would you heed the voice of the prophet preparing the way for Jesus one more time this year? He's inviting us into the desert to meet with God. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would soften our hearts in whatever way they needed to be softened so that we would be ready for Christmas, ready for our King. Amen.